0: We're going to begin a new series of, of messages today. For probably six months now, the Lord's been dealing with me about some things. And so I felt like the Lord started to say to me, I want you to, to take this to the whole church now. And um, so let me see if I can put it into context. I, I don't know about you. I guess I probably do know about you. I imagine your life isn't much different than mine. My life gets pretty complicated pretty fast. It feels overwhelming a lot, and, and um, I always seem to be playing catch-up. I never seem to be ahead of things. I always seem to be just uh, kind of frantically trying to to keep ahead of the wave that's about to crash over me. You know what I mean by that? And so I've been doing a lot of uh, praying about that, and and I felt like the Lord one morning, this was months ago, at least six months ago, that the Lord spoke to me. He said, Randy, watch, listen, trust, and obey. And uh, I thought, well, that sounds good. But it's taken six months of nearly every day, the Lord reminding me of that, and me meditating on that, thinking about that, Reading the scriptures and praying about that. To realize that God is trying to save me. (laughs) He's trying to rescue me. And bring order to a very disorderly world. And and to bring uh, a focus to my life that I desperately need. And for me anyway. I know right now in this season of my life. That it has to do with these four words. Watch, listen, trust and obey. And so I'm a little vulnerable here because I I don't want to assume that you are exactly at the same place that I am or that the you know because that's a that's a silly thing some of us do we always think that everybody is always thinking the same thing we're we're thinking and going through the same things we're thinking and that's not necessarily true but I do have enough of a sense of the Lord's Uh, you know kind of nudging me in this direction to proceed and the good news is it'll only take four weeks and then we'll be done and we can move on to something else but if you might be at that same place in your life I'm hoping that something of my and I'm certainly not through this journey yet but something of the process of my my life's journey in these last few months around these four words will be of benefit to you as we dig in together. So today we're going to talk about the first of these four words, watch. And I asked you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 8, 6, excuse me, and we're going to begin reading at verse 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted his servants saying, "My camp will be in such and such a place." So the king of Syria is uh, deciding that he's going to do battle against the Israelites and he's conferring with his leaders and generals and he's telling them what we're going to do and where we're going to be and how we're going to launch our assaults. They're making their battle plans. Verse 9. And the man of God, and you're going to find out that, that person's name is Elisha. That's the man of God referred to here. The man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. And so the man of God, Elisha, is um, he- hearing from the Lord information about where the Syrian armies are going to position themselves and then passing that information on to the king of Israel so that they avoid that location and uh, the, the battle uh, as the Syrians intend for it to go. You with me so far? Yeah? Okay, panic there just for a minute. Verse 10, Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. So the king of Israel sends somebody. Go check out this place that Elisha has told us about, and and, uh, let's confirm what he has to say. Uh, Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So this happened several times. And verse 11, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, he gets all of his generals and leaders together again, and he says, Which one of you is an Israeli spy? Because every time we make plans to do battle against them, they somehow know in advance where we're going and avoid us. Which one of you is an Israeli spy? Verse 12, And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. God is revealing to this guy, Elisha, the things that you say in private and in secret. And he's telling uh, the king of Israel. Verse 13. So he, the king of Syria, said... Go and see where he, Elisha, is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Dothan's the name of a city. He says, Hey, we've got to take this guy out because he's ruining our plan. So let's go find Elisha and do away with him. Verse 14. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. You know, he didn't send just a couple of guys to go pick him up. He sends a massive force surrounds the city of Dothan. Verse 15, And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, "Uh, Elisha, we have trouble. Now, that was just my translation. But alas, my master, what shall we do? So I don't know. You know, his servant gets up in the morning, opens the window, goes outside to Get the morning paper. I don't know what he's doing. But he sees, uh-oh, we are in trouble. There's an army surrounding the city. Elisha, what are we supposed to do? And uh, so verse 16, he answered, Elisha answers, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The story continues, but we'll stop there. Uh, Dear ones, there's a lot more to see than most of us do. You know, about a year ago, Sue and I bought a new car. It says... I don't even know how to describe the color. It's this weird kind of lime green color, Kia Kia Soul. Now, the reason we bought it is because it was the cheapest one on the lot. Until we bought that car, I'd never noticed another car on the planet painted that color. (coughs) But now that we own this car, I see them everywhere. (laughs) Have you ever had that experience where your eyes are suddenly open to something you had been blind to for a long time? There is a lot going on. In fact, the important things are going on behind the scenes of what you and I can see. What we call the material world is really the immaterial. The material is what we call the immaterial. What God is up to in this world, the things that are happening in the spirit, those are the things that really matter. And most of the time, you and I are blind to them. But here we have in this story uh, clear evidence that there is more to see and that God can open our eyes to see what he is up to in this world. And I believe that the Lord wants to help us to be able to begin to see with different eyes. And that that is the starting place of a completely different way to live. Now turn to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers is farther back in the Old Testament towards the front. Numbers chapter 22. Because our eyes have been blinded, and I want to talk to you a little bit about why that is. We're going to begin reading in Numbers chapter 22 at verse 22. Then God's anger was aroused because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey and his two servants was with him. Let me explain. There's a guy named Balaam. And he is a prophet for hire. And the um, enemies of the Israelites have offered to pay him a sizable chunk of money if he will prophesy against the Israelites. And he's on his way. He's riding on his donkey. He's got two servants with him. And he's on his way to go do that. And it says the Lord's pretty angry about that. And it says that the angel of the Lord, and when you read that in the Old Testament, that's a reference to a pre-incarnate, that means before Jesus was was born into human flesh, a pre-incarnate manifestation of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. The angel of the Lord is standing in opposition to Balaam, standing in his way. Verse 23, now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to, uh, to turn her back on the road. See, the donkey saw. <laughs> Balaam didn't see. Verse 24, Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on his, this side and a wall on that side. And you see as this story progresses that the, the angel of the Lord keeps narrowing things, keeps causing things to be tighter and tighter so that eventually um, Balaam will have no choice but to see. Um, Verse 25, And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord... There's nothing else for her to do. She just lays down. And so Balaam's anger was so aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Now, you can believe this or not. I happen to believe it. And she said to Balaam, What have I done that you have (laughs) struck me these three times? Can't you see? And Balaam said to the donkey, this is even weirder because Balaam's talking back to the donkey. And Balaam says to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there was a sword in my hand. For now I would kill you. So the donkey says to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. Most of us are carrying on in life. Most of us are pursuing life with blinders on. And you wonder why it feels like life just keeps getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. There's something there that you're refusing to see. The reason Balaam couldn't see what a donkey could see was because he was dead set on getting that money. He had a plan, a desire. It was what he wanted, the way he wanted, when he, when he wanted it. And that blinded his eyes to something so profoundly real, and yet he was oblivious to it. Most of us, I, myself included, live our lives with blinders on. And I think the Lord wants to remedy that. But we have this nature about us that seeks darkness. John 3.19 says, and this is the condemnation. Okay, This "This is what human beings will be condemned for in the courts of God's eternal judgment. This is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. It's more convenient. When I have my heart and my mind set on living a certain way and doing a certain thing, gaining a certain thing, it's more convenient for me not to see what God is up to. But thank God, Jesus has come to open blind eyes. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 Jesus stood up in his hometown synagogue, opened the book of Isaiah, and read this passage that I'm about to read. And at the the conclusion of him reading this passage, he says, And these words are fulfilled in your presence today. And he's referring to himself. So what he's saying is, This is what I've come to do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are, are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. One of the things that Jesus said he came to do was to bring recovery of sight to the blind. It's the intention of our God to rescue us from the way that our sin have, has blinded us to the important things in this life. The things that God is up to, the things he wants for us to see, that we just carry on as though they weren't. Jesus came to change all of that. And he showed us what to look for. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, he answered them, and he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son, referring to himself, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Now, everything that Jesus did, he did as an example to us, for our benefit, that we would learn from it. And he said, This is how I live. I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it first. My eyes are on Him. Ask yourself, how drastically would your life change if you lived that way? Every minute of every day. Now, I guess I don't mean, you know, should, Lord, do I see you brushing your teeth? And, <laughs> and I, I think it's probably there's some things that are just, you know, part of life. But I mean... Generally speaking, if we got in the habit of doing what Jesus did, making decisions and choices based on the fact we saw God doing that, we imagined God uh, leading this, leading the way in this, showing us how we ought to live. If we just lived that way, it would be a drastic way to, a drastic change to the way most of us live. And yet, it's clear to me from the scriptures, that's what God intends. But we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Think about Moses. Uh, some of you have heard of him before. We talked to him, about him a little bit this morning. So much of the Old Testament, so much of redemptive history begins with Moses. The liberating of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, the, coming, the, the granting of the Ten Commandments, the sacrificial system, the temple. all So much. And you know what? It hinged on a very, very simple choice. Moses out herding his sheep one day noticed a bush burning. It wasn't a bonfire. It would have been so easy. Think about it. It would have been so easy for him to just carry on. And yet Moses goes, I'm going to check that out. And so much happens as a result of that simple choice to see what was up, to see what God might be doing. It would have been so easy for him to skip that, and yet he made the right choice. Elisha, we talked about him earlier, his mentor was Elijah. It gets a little confusing, Elijah and Elisha. But Elijah, Elisha's mentor, is ending uh, nearing the end of his life. And Elisha knows it. And he's following Elijah very closely in his last days, just shadowing him everywhere he goes. And finally, Elijah says, what, what's up with you? Because he keeps trying to send him off to do other things. And Elisha says, uh, I want a double portion of what you've got. You know, this, thing, this power from God that you have, I want a double portion of that. And Elijah says, okay, but here's the deal. You've got to see me when I depart this earth. And so you can picture Elisha is just (laughs) eyes wide open, watching, because he's desperate. And that's what's missing from a lot of us. He's desperate for the power of God, and so he wants to see what God is going to do. And he keeps his eyes on Elisha, and he does see a whirlwind comes and captures Elijah away into heaven. And he, it says, saw it. And as a result, he received a double portion of that that power. And his, the history of his life and ministry is twice uh, that of Elijah. You can read about it in the scriptures. But such a simple choice. It would have been so easy for him to have missed it, wouldn't it have been? In 1 John one seven, it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. From all sin, there's a very important word at the beginning of that verse, if, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. These things happen. We have a choice to make. And yeah, look, it's never going to be perfect. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And it's referring to that day when we stand before God in eternity and we see things from that eternal perspective. It will, it will feel like everything before that moment was like looking through a cloudy glass, but now we see clearly. It's like Chris Amitrano the other day, and he got his glasses. I was out at Starbucks with him, and he says, he's standing, standing at the cash register, and he goes, Wow. I can see the menu, you know. It will be something like that. When we stand before God one day, it will be, wow. I can see clearly now. But that doesn't mean that even though now, while we are sort of in the shadows and looking at things a little dimly, that we still, that we shouldn't be looking. We still should be looking. We have a choice to make. Let me tell you a couple of stories and then we'll get out of here. So, Sue and I, you know, twice a year we go to Taiwan and we teach in a ministry training school there called the Discipleship Training School. And one of the things that we do is at the end of the week, the last day of the week, we take three or four hours and we just pray over the students. And what we're doing when we pray for them, we tell them in advance, is we're going to ask the Lord to show us something about you, about your future, about your life, things He might want to say to you in this moment. And we tell them, look, we're not infallible by any means, we're just You know, we're just sinners like anybody else, but we're going to take a stab at this. We believe God might want to show you some things, and so we're going to put ourselves out on a limb and go for it. So that's what we do. And um, I could tell you so many stories, but here's a couple. One girl, she was was Taiwanese. I knew her as Anita because that's how she was introduced to us, but that wasn't her Chinese name. A lot of times they'll... uh, Kind of give the give themselves an English name, I guess, for our benefit or whatever. Like like one girl I knew, her Chinese name was An Chi, but she introduced herself to us as Angie, right? So anyway, I knew her as Anita, and that's all I knew about her. Uh, and uh, so we were praying over her, and I I could picture. Now you know, it's not like a you know, not like IMAX, you know, I, I, but I could picture. Uh, a, a, a incense stick a stick of incense uh, burning you know and I I felt like the Lord wanted me to say to her you know Anita I feel like the Lord wants you to know that to him you're like an in, your, your life is like incense it it gives off this this wonderful sweet aroma and not just for your own benefit or God's even but I believe the Lord is showing me this because he's made you this way so that the attractiveness of the, of the scent of your life will be, uh, that you'll know it's, it's intended to point people to the one who made you this way, the one who made you such a sweet savor. It's intended, You're, that's what your life is about. And so, you know, we went on and prayed for other people. At the end of it, she comes up to me, she says, Randy he said, well, you don't know, is my Chinese name means incense. That's the name my parents gave me when I was born. And for me to know that God was in that, that he knew my life even then, and he knew what my life was supposed to be about even then, it's transforming to me. And you can imagine the significance that would have to somebody. Another time we were praying for, I was praying for a young man. He was the son of the the base leader, a guy who was um, very... uh, Prominent in, in uh, the organization, organization, YWAM, and traveled the world and was well-known everywhere and God used him in mighty ways. His son uh, was uh, helping staff the, the, the school that we'd been teaching in during that week and we prayed, came to pray for him. And I, this is what I pictured. I was praying for him and I, I pictured him stepping up on a platform like this, just like I just did right there. Step up. And then I saw him step forward to the front of the platform like that. And I said to him, I said, Josh, I don't really understand this, but I feel like the Lord showed me you stepping up and stepping out. And I'm not really even sure what that's about, but I feel like the Lord will tell you, will show you. Well, later he told me that this I didn't know. I didn't know anything about. His father, uh, who, in whose shadow... He had been living for his whole life. His his dad was bigger than life. Everybody know, knew Don Gilman. He's dead now, but everybody knew Don Gilman. Well, Josh Gilman was in his shadow. And uh, what he said to me, he said, Randy, he said, what you didn't know is that today, this afternoon, I'm supposed to give my father an answer to his uh, request of me to step up into the role of school leader for the DTS. And I believe the Lord is saying to me that he wants me to step out from behind my dad's shadow and and take on the role that God has assigned me. And today, I have, that, I have to give my dad that answer. And to hear this from you is so confirming to me. I know what I'm supposed to do. So you can see that God is up to things behind the scenes that make a difference in people's lives, and it's available to us if we'll look for them. Now, I don't mean, you know, you <laughs> I don't mean that you're going to be... I'm not asking any of you to be as weird as me. Uh, but I'm not asking you to be weird in any sense. I and, mean, you know, we're not talking about eyes rolling back in the head. We're not talking about that kind of stuff. But there is a lot to be seen. Uh, one Sunday, and some of you have probably heard this before, one Sunday at a church that we were pastoring in San Jose, I'm preaching along like I was. Like, like I was just a minute ago, you know, out of the Word of God, and got my notes there. And I'm, I don't remember what the sermon was, and I'm sure those people don't either. But I was, you know, preaching away, and I have this thing coming into my mind this picture. And it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But, you know, there it is. And I, I'm trying desperately to keep doing my sermon, but there's this thing there. And finally, I just gave up. I took my podium and moved it to the side like that. And I said, I, I know I'm not finished here. and I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I can't go on. I got this picture in my mind. So here it goes. I, is there anybody here? Because what I saw was a knife with a red handle. I'd never seen anything like that in the real world, but it was a knife with a red handle. So I said, anybody here have a knife with a red handle? And you can imagine what I'm feeling at that moment. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, this is the day, this is the day they put the coat on me and haul me out, right? But sure enough, there's this lady sitting in the back like where Ramona is right back there, and she goes, and I said, I mean, seriously, really? You, you have it with you? And she goes, yeah. And she opened her purse and pulled it out. And, I'm, and I'm, now I'm, I'm like, okay, now what are we supposed to do, God? Now, clearly, this woman had some fear issues, right? And so we stopped. I didn't finish that sermon. We stopped the service and just began to speak to her, minister to her. People surrounded her, started to pray for her, and... That woman went away, away from, the, from that service that day greatly helped. And she wouldn't have received that kind of help by anything I was going to say that morning. But God knew what she needed, and he knew what he needed to do to get my attention. And because I made the mistake that morning of saying, God, show me what you want to show me. I want to live like Jesus today. <laughs> but listen, wouldn't it be better to live that way? How much more could God do in your life and in the lives of those around around you if you did what Jesus did? I don't do anything unless I see God do it. I believe God would meet you. I believe he will meet us if we move into 2015 with that determination. Lord, that's how we want it. This is recording number 11139, from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, January 4, 2015. This is the first message in a series titled, Watch, Listen, Trust, and Obey. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Watch.